Lizzie and Alex and Carrie. Lizzie and uh, Kara trying to preach my sermon before I get up here. Shame on y'all. Well, good morning. I hope everybody had a good Christmas. Raise your hand if you had a great Christmas. I did. Awesome. Raise your hand if you ate too much this Christmas. Uh, yeah, you did. Whether you think of it or not, you did. Uh, this morning, uh-huh. Oh, I thought somebody said something to me. I'm trying to be smart, Alec. Um, so this morning is the final final message in our Christmas series. It has, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. We're going to be in, in Luke chapter 2 today, if you hadn't caught that already. Um, in this series, we've discussed a lot of different things, but, but how specifically God used the angels to spread the word about Jesus' birth. So the first week, Kerry preached. He did a great job. He talked about how Jesus is God's plan. Gabriel appears to Zechariah to tell him that he's going to have a son, uh, John, who's going to be the one that Scripture and prophecy foretold would make the way for the Messiah. And then Kerry kind of walked us through several of the prophecies from the Old Testament in which God said that he would send a Messiah to save the people. The next week, we talked about how Jesus calms our fear. Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah and that she should call him Jesus. And, and Scripture says that Mary was confused and disturbed. And we talked about how as God works in our life, a lot of times it causes confusion, that it causes fear. But we see in the story that as Mary listens to what Gabriel has come to tell her, Jesus takes away those fears. God takes away the fear so that she can experience the joy that has God, God has for her. And then thirdly, last week we talked about how Jesus makes everything new. An angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him, that God's about to do something new in the world, and he's going to use he and Mary to do that. And that God will use his son Jesus to bring beauty back into the world by redeeming the world and its people. And today we're going to learn that Jesus is God's love for everyone. So open your Bibles up with me and join as we read. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 20. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own. Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and laying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, 
which were just as they had been told. This was always one of my favorite parts of the Christmas narrative as a, as a child when I was growing up. Um, and it was my favorite because I grew up on a farm and we raised sheep. And so in my mind, I was a shepherd, right? And so I, I love to, to read this story and to think about what it must have been like. I also grew up in a pretty unassuming place. Most of you guys have been out to, to our farm where we live. That's where I grew up at. And, you know, we're in Grant Parish. We're not in the big fancy city like Alexandria, right? So we were in a pretty unassuming place. But I like to imagine what it must have been like out there that night. I've been out in the fields with sheep for a long time. Like, as a kid, I was playing. I wasn't really shepherding, but I had been out there a lot. And I thought about what it must have been like to, to be there, to have the sheep around you sleeping. Uh, the smell of a campfire was always on my mind. And then these angels just appearing out of nowhere. What a crazy night that would have been. And what an incredible story to be able to tell your friends. But even as a kid, I knew that there was something strange about the way God chose to announce the birth of Jesus. It, it lacked what I thought would be expected with the birth of a king. Like, think about recently when King Charles took the throne and all the pomp and circumstance and all of the things that took place in order for that to happen. In my mind, as a kid, you know, that was back in the days of Princess Diana, and I knew a little bit about all of those things. And in my mind, it should be something like that, but that's not what God does. All those who were waiting and watching for the Messiah would have expected that Jesus would have been born in a way that brought a lot of people's attention. But Jesus wasn't born as anyone expected. Bethlehem wasn't a particularly interesting place, and it certainly wasn't considered a special place at this time in history. The prophet Micah does mention it in chapter 5. In chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Bethlehem, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. And even though the priest and the scribes knew of this prophecy, it doesn't say much fanfare exists about the birth of the Messiah. The only place this is even mentioned is in Matthew, and he says that, all of Jerusalem was disturbed by the news of his birth. Let's look at that. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It said, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For he saw his star at the rising and have come to worship him. I want to pause right there and remind us that the wise men did not show up the day that Jesus was born like the shepherds did. We don't know how long, but months, maybe even years after Jesus is born is when, when this happens. And so they're arriving and telling King Herod this, and it's new information from him. And it says, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, but out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Jerusalem is disturbed, and they're disturbed because Herod is disturbed. We're not going to dig into all the history that's behind that, but they knew what kind of ruler 
Herod was, and their fear was justified when Herod then orders that all the male children in Bethlehem were to be killed. That's why they were scared, because they knew the kind of man that he was. I want us to understand that our idea of when and how God should act doesn't define his activity. God doesn't do what he wants or, uh, when it's pleasing or convenient for us. Right? It was not pleasing or convenient for Herod that the Messiah would be born during his reign. Herod was incredibly paranoid, even kills his own children because he's afraid that they might take the throne from him. But God works when it's the right time for him and his plan. For the priest in Jerusalem, this was not the right time for the Messiah to show up because it would upset their king, their earthly king. But obviously it was the right time because God deemed it to be so. I'm sure you guys have, have heard this famous quote, um, I think, therefore I am, right? Y'all have heard that before? I believe that humans have also adopted the idea that I think, therefore it must be, right? When we get an idea about how something is or must be, it's nearly impossible for us to change that idea in our minds. The, the first example that popped in my mind while I was thinking about this is, for a long time, I don't know if you knew this, but people believed that everything in our solar system rotated around the earth. Did you know that? And in 1543, 1543, this guy Nicholas Copernicus theorized that the sun, in fact, was the center of the solar system and everything orbited it. And believe it or not, the church was furious about this because they wanted the earth to be the center of everything. But that's not the case. And while he was able to supply scientific evidence that this was correct, people didn't want to believe. And it took over a century for it to become widely accepted that the earth was not the center of our solar system. When it comes to God's activity, we think we understand how he works in the world. But as you grow in your relationship with him and as you study scripture, we, we realize that God doesn't always do what we expect when we expect it. Raise your hand if you've ever asked God for something and he didn't deliver it in the time frame that you wanted right? That's a normal experience for us. Our ideas about how and when God should work do not restrain God from working when he wants to. This is why God sends people over and over to reveal his will to us because since Adam and Eve, God has been trying to do something in the life of his people. And because we don't automatically see that or accept it, God sends his messengers to tell us what he's doing. And this still doesn't always do it for us. The Bible is full of examples of people who heard the words of God through the prophets and didn't listen or didn't believe. But that doesn't deter God. He continues to send more people to share his message. And God, here's what's the neat thing, is God uses the unexpected people and unexpected processes to reveal himself to the world. Luke describes in, in, in this gospel the people that God chose to use for the birth of his son. We, we learned about Zechariah and Elizabeth and how they were old and, Zach, and Elizabeth was barren. But God used them to bring John Baptist into the world, the one that was prophesied that would come to prepare the way for the Lord. Joseph and Mary are two very young adults who are not married but they're engaged. They weren't anybody special by the world's standards and this pregnancy made them social outcasts even among their families. But God did all of this so that it would be obvious to us, looking back, that he orchestrated the whole thing. The shepherds, same thing. Ordinary people, unassuming, 
who were at work doing their jobs, and that's who God chose to reveal his work to. This week I ran across an article titled, D.C. Collier, Jesus, Israel's Messiah, What Are the Odds? And it says, Muncaster concluded, the estimated odds of just, of just the above 48, in the, in the article he lists 48 prophecies, being fulfilled in the life of one man have been calculated as 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That's a 10 with 157 zeros at the end of it. This would be equivalent to winning 22 lotteries in a row. Jesus did not just pop into existence in Bethlehem. Jesus' birth was no accident. John records Jesus saying this in chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. God sent Jesus in that time, in that place, through those people, revealed himself to a specific group of people for a specific reason. He did all this to show us once and for all that Jesus is God's love for everyone. This is, this is it in the most simply stated way. Jesus is God's love for everyone. All this drama that we read in Scripture, all these angels, all these seemingly simple people were witness to the greatest thing to ever happen in the history of the world. Luke hears the testimony of these people. And he's put this down for Theopolis because he wants him to understand what an incredible story this is. I was talking to some guys at work this week and sharing with them that Luke was not one of the disciples. That he wasn't there when these things happened. He went back and, and, and listened to people and, and did interviews to figure out all this information. And I can only imagine Luke hearing these stories and being like, okay, yeah, that seems like that one got stretched a little bit. And then he goes and he finds the shepherds, he finds Mary, he finds Jesus' brothers, and they begin to tell him how all of this unfolded. And God could have announced his son's birth to literally anyone, and he chose the shepherds. And this is not the first time that God has exalted a lowly shepherd. David, King David, the smallest and the youngest of his family, living in the Bethlehem region, is out tending his flock. His father sends him to bring food and provisions to his older brothers who are fighting. We know the story. He gets there. He hears that there's this giant Goliath who's taunting the Israelite nation and making fun of God. And so God sends David out and he slays the giant. And David ends up becoming king, the greatest king before Jesus. We all love an underdog story. And David's is certainly an underdog story. The forgotten brother that's left behind to tend the sheep who now becomes the king, right? If you look at any, any underdog story in the world, they're based in those principles. But the place, the people, and the guest that God chooses to reveal himself to show us his heart, shows us the heart of God. If you think about for a moment the powerful people at this time in the world, the religious leaders certainly held a lot of power. Herod the Great, who we just talked about, held a lot of power. He was the king of, of Israel. Or even the Roman officials that lived there and were occupying that nation. Any of them would have been more likely, from our viewpoint, to have been shared the good news of the Messiah. But that's not who God chooses to share it with. God chose the shepherds. He sent his angels into the fields to tell this great news to the lowest of society. 
I want us to see that He chooses people like me and you. He choose, chooses some people who were just at work doing the thing they're supposed to do, like Lizzie was just talking about it a minute ago. Who God chooses to reveal Himself to in the birth narrative shows us the nature of His love. Our idea of what it means to be, quote-unquote, good enough or destroyed by this story. God shows us clearly that He loves everyone regardless of social status, financial status, or personally perceived perfection. Y'all like that? I want you to think about that for just a minute. Personally perceived perfection. God's love is different than we think. Think about how the world talks and acts about love. Think about how many marriages start with a vow of love, quote-unquote, only to be broken at some point in the future. Our definition and experience of love in the world are not like the love of God. Paul described God's love in his letter to the church in Corinth, and this is one that we read at weddings and we hear a lot. It says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not irritable, it does not keep record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and endures all things. But do we really believe that love is all of those things? Have we experienced that kind of love from people in our lives? I, I hope that all of us have, but the reality is that more have not experienced that than who have. And God sent Jesus to show and to prove that his love is that kind of love. If you look at the life of Jesus, you're going to see that this passage from 1 Corinthians perfectly describes the love of Jesus. God sent Jesus to live the perfect life, to reveal how much God loves us, and to make the sacrifice required to make us right with God again. That's why Jesus is God's love for everyone. And point number three for today is that God sent prophets, angels, Jesus, and now he sends you to share his love. When you think about sharing God's love with others, you think that you aren't ready or you think you aren't good enough. And we can only think about our failures rather than thinking about God's goodness. And I know this to be true because we see this response all through Scripture. And I used to believe that about myself as well, but it's simply not true. In addition, God's choosing to announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds disproves the idea that we have to be something other than what we are in order to share in God's story. These shepherds were not ready. They were not biblical scholars. They did not have all the right answers to the questions that had not yet been asked. They would have not have thought of themselves as worthy of such an honor. And when they went to find Jesus... They simply shared what they had experienced. Look at it again in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 15 through 18. It says, When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they hurried off. And they, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, listen to this, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. These guys didn't have a perfectly planned and then executed gospel presentation. 
Have you ever heard a group of guys all trying to tell a story at the same time? Like, think about a group of teenager high school boys who've just experienced something pretty cool, and they run up, and they want to tell you about this story. What are they doing? They're talking all over top of each other, right? And it's incoherent, and you're trying to follow the logic of what's happening. You're trying to follow the timeline, but because so many people are, this is what I imagined happening when the shepherds got there. Now, maybe they were being quiet because there was a baby, but if they're like me, probably not. I get really excited, and I have to get hushed a lot. But, but these guys, they show up, and they've just, like, this is something that no one's ever experienced before in this way. Like, Joseph was, was in a dream. Mary and, 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 and sh- the angel showed up for her. Zechariah, angel showed up for her. But the, this is a group of guys. Maybe some ladies, I don't know. I'm not sure how that worked. But they're out in the fields, and angels appear out of nothing. A multitude of angels. That's a story that you got to tell, right? And they're excited about it. They left the field, went to Bethlehem. Everything they've been told is happening right there. And they're talking a lot like I'm talking right now. They're just so excited about what's happening. Their delivery wasn't polished. But that didn't detract from the story or from what God was doing. Church perfection has never been a prerequisite to God using someone. If perfection was required before someone could live for God, hear me on this, if perfection was required before someone could live for God, Jesus would be his only follower. The disciples regularly made mistakes. They misspoke or they cut someone's ear off. And Jesus still used them. You can laugh at that. That's okay thing to laugh at. God still used them. And not only did he use them, he then commissioned them and said, go make some more people like you. Look at how the author of Hebrews opens his letter in light of what we see God doing at the birth of his son. Remember, this letter is written to help Jewish followers of Jesus see that the Bible is their story of redemption. The author opens it up this way. He says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him the heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word and making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. For which of the angels did ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, and let all God's angels worship him. Long ago, in many ways, God spoke. Church, I want us to see that God can use whomever he wants to spread his love. He used imperfect prophets. He used his holy angels. And he used his son. And the next step in his plan is for those who are followers of Jesus to spread this message. You were created for this purpose. And we need to learn to see it in ourselves. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, the author says, So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised for yet in a very little while the coming one will come and not delay but my righteousness my righteous one will live by faith and if he draws back I have no pleasure in him but we are not those who draw back and are destroyed but those who have faith 
and are saved. The author of Hebrews is encouraging us to share our story, to do it with the same confidence that those shepherds shared when they ran to Bethlehem to find this baby that they had been told about. Tell people about what God is doing or has done in your life. Your story of God's activity in your life, no matter the context, is the one that God wants you to share. Your mistakes and missteps don't detract from the message. They add to it by showing that God loves you even when you are not perfect. That is the gospel. In the next chapter of this letter, the author lists all these people in chapter 11 who had faith in God and were counted as righteous. You're familiar with this chapter in chapter 11. It's called the faith chapter. But when you look at that list, if you look at the people that are called righteous because of their faith, you must remember that these faithful men and women were not innocent. Noah got drunk. Abraham committed adultery. Sarah laughed at God's plan. Jacob stole his brother's birthright. Moses was a murderer. And yet all of them were used by God. None of the patriarchs of our faith were saints. And therefore, it is not fair for you to impose that level of perfection upon yourself. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to be better people. What I am saying is we should not immediately disqualify ourselves because we don't feel like we're perfect. God doesn't require it, so why would you? There's this misconception in the church that you must be without fault or blemish. That idea has made its way into our minds and we believe that this is the truth. But the truth is that God provided Jesus to show us that no matter what we've done in the past or what we're going to do in the future, God loves us. He is the one who makes us perfect. He is the one who makes us righteous. God is the one who calls us and makes us worthy of that calling. The shepherds didn't feel like they were worthy. But the fact that God sent his angels to them to deliver the message made them worthy. They didn't make themselves worthy. God made them worthy. When we accept the gift of salvation and we are adopted into God's family, the blood of Jesus covers our imperfections. Our sins are forgiven and they are forgotten. When God sees us, he no longer sees our sins, but he sees Jesus' perfection. And we celebrate Christmas because it marks the beginning of Jesus' work here on earth. Jesus brings the kingdom of God to earth and does it in a way that was not expected. God's upside-down kingdom surprises people when they encounter it. It throws them off because it's not what they expect. God does unexpected things with unexpected people. Jesus was born in an unexpected way. But God did this to show the world that his love is not based on the things of the world. God will use the least of us to share this great message and to prove it to be true. Because as we share the story of God's activity in our lives, as we share how much God loves us and how much we have experienced that through his activity, we are going to show the world that Jesus is God's love for everyone. This morning we're going to celebrate Jesus' works by doing what he has commanded his disciples to do. We're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. 
just before Jesus arrested, Jesus had one final meal with his friends, with his disciples. Matthew records it this way. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this, the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This morning, we're going we're gonna to take the Lord's Supper, and I want to invite everybody who's here to come. Kids are welcome, but parents, the expectation is, is that you're going to help them to understand what it is that we're doing, that there will be some further conversations afterwards. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to become one, it's very simple. Where you are, you can pray to your Father. Admit that you are in need of Jesus' salvation. Tell him that you believe that he is the Son of God sent here to forgive us of our sins. And then confess those sins to him and receive his salvation. And if you've prayed that prayer before, you're part of the family. This morning I want you to come down. Um, Craig, would you mind helping me with this if you would come? Just come down the center aisle, take the elements, and go back to where you are, and then I'll, I'll tell you what to do from there. Y'all come. If you'd like to come, come. We're not fancy. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus. God, it is humbling to think that you choose to work through us, that that is your plan.
God, I ask that as we celebrate the new year, as we think about the things that we want this next year to be for us, Father, I, I pray that you would give us a desire to put you at the center of all of it. That, Father, as we, as we go back to work, as we go back to school, as we interact with people that we've known our whole lives, Father, I ask that you would help them to see that your love is for everyone. I ask that our interactions would, would bring that message every day. That as we interact with people, as we do the daily things, Father, that they would see your goodness and your love through us. Jesus, help us to understand in a new and in a real way how much you love us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.